Welcome to the Ag Emerge podcast, brought to you by Ag Solutions Network. Your farming challenges are unique, so your practices should be too. We're here to share emerging ideas, build connections, and provoke conversation. Get ready to improve your soil, your crops, your livestock, and your family's livelihood. I'm your producer, Kim Chase. And I'm your host, Monty Bottens. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the podcast. Before we get started with this episode, we wanted to make sure that you've heard about the Ag Emerge Summer Summit. You're invited to join us August 4th and 5th for a two-day field event where you'll experience soil health and regenerative agriculture in action on the Bottens Family Farm in Cambridge, Illinois. In addition to learning from Monty, you'll hear from experts in their field, including Dr. Joel Groover and Megan Filbert, along with some thought-provoking and motivational stories shared by farmer and mentor Cameron Mills and retired mixed martial artist and UFC Hall of Famer Pat Militich. We'll cover a lot of ground, from the basics of cover cropping to the wild side of livestock integration. So come enjoy a chance to think outside the box and get your questions answered as we share years of experience in a full transparency farm tour. Oh, and we won't let you go hungry. All meals during the event are included with registration, and we'll also keep you entertained as you'll have a unique opportunity to spend a fun evening in the pasture with dinner and live music at the fourth annual Concert with the Cows. This is an event you won't want to miss. For more information and to get registered, head on over to our website at www.asn.farm. And now, on to our show. Thanks for joining us. Today, we welcome Clint Brower, CEO and founder of Greenfield Robotics. Clint has a great story. He grew up farming in south-central Kansas and went to K-State where he got into technology. After graduating from college and spending a decade-plus in media and technology in Los Angeles, San Francisco, and New York, Clint decided to return to his roots in Kansas, launching MG Honor Farms on the family farmstead. Clint began a adopting regenerative ag principles, but was frustrated with the limitations of current tools and technology for regenerative farming and the dream of organic no-till. So he decided to launch a company where he could use his technology experience to solve the scaling issues of regenerative broadacre systems. Clint and his team are doing some exciting work, and he and Monty explore that today. So let's jump right in. Welcome to this episode of the Ag Emerge podcast. I'm, I'm excited to be joined by Clint Brower with uh, Greenfield Robotics. And he's out of Kansas where, you know, all the ag technology startups are headquartered, right, Clint? Every single one. <laughs> so, Clint, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your company and just start at the beginning and, and how you got to where you are today. Yep. Thanks for having me. Uh, much appreciated. Um, yeah, you know, I... Uh, I grew up in this area, South Central Kansas, and uh, grew up farming, you know, and, and uh, got into technology, went to K-State, got into technology, and uh, did that for about 13 years, and uh, out in Los Angeles, mostly uh, San Francisco, New York, and, and a lot of startups, always, and, um, you know, decided to come back here about, uh, I guess now it's almost 12 years, um, and uh, decided um, to do something that I thought was redeemable and figure out what that was. And so set on a trajectory, which most thought was crazy back then, but it's looking less, less crazy by the year now. 
was to uh, reduce and then eliminate chemicals out of farming. And so um, that's sort of how some of this started. And I, of course, started actually growing vegetables and all these types of things, uh, never organic certified, but always use Omri certified inputs. And um, that one thing led to another and realized that no-till, being able to do no-till without chemicals would be probably the biggest impact of all. So that's, that's when Greenfield was born. So that is amazing. The, the dream of organic no-till, and uh, it's something I've been pursuing as a farmer. Many other friends and, and people want to do the same, but the perpetual problem that it really requires tillage is that nemesis weed, right? So th that's what your, that's your main focus is, is getting the weeds out of a no-till production scenario. Indeed. Indeed it is. And to make it predictable without tillage. Excellent. Excellent. So Tell us about how did that time in California kind of kind of shape your your thoughts and views and 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 I assume you had a dairy uh, well a family farm a dairy correct that you uh, actually uh, yeah we still had dairy when I was little I used to get yeah. milk right out of that which apparently was high risk but uh, nobody told me so back then <laughs> I think uh, it was it's high risk not to so no that's uh, if you can handle a real thing uh, uh, you can handle about anything so yeah. So started there and in, in LA then talks about that, all the experience with those, that startup culture and, and what you were doing there and how that kind of, uh, formed, you know, your, your thoughts and ability to pursue what you're doing with Greenfield. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, I went through and helped with a lot of startups and, um, you know, it's, it's a different culture there and they're, they're good and they're bad. They're, we've, I think we've cherry picked the good and, and sort of left the bad behind, but for Greenfield, but it, one of the things that's interesting out there, and I think the culture is shifting everywhere now, but back then, I don't think that you could do what I was doing and what I'm doing now. And if we failed, um, people would really look down on you. And that's not the case on the West Coast as much in that culture. And so you sort of have the freedom to go out and think creatively and, and try to uh, bring new things to market. And I think that that was probably the best part of it was sort of being freed up to sort of think creatively and, and solve problems. And, and also, you know, I was early in the internet, uh, fairly early and, and so early enough that there weren't a lot of experts. So I found myself in positions talking to people I should have never been able to talk to at a young age, uh, that knew a lot more than me, but I happened to understand the internet. And so, um, great experience all the way around. Um, you know, I always felt like I, had the experience of a 40 year old by the time I was, you know, 25. And so it was really, uh, great for that, you know? And so, and sort of that culture of, of moving fast, I think the, the idea, I think everyone used to just plan everything. Right. And in big companies, you still do a lot of this, but the idea of you quickly get to prototypes, you quickly uh, mock things up. And I had a company in, in, in 1999, we were the first, one of the first out there to do agile development and, and, you know, weekly scrums and that kind of stuff and took our project risk almost to zero. And so we, we do similar things in hardware now, but, um, so there, there was a lot of positive things, you know, out there. So that was a great foundation to, to have, right. To, to work now to in Greenfield and it really brought you to where you are today. Talk to us a little more about the, the what drives you, the passion side, and, and why uh, chemistry-free or chemical-free input on organic farming, organic no-till, and these kind of things. Why is that uh, a passion of yours and very personal to you? 
Yeah, no, it's um, what I didn't mention is really one of the major factors that brought me back uh, 12 years ago is my dad was diagnosed with Parkinson's. And so, uh, you know, I had great parents and they were always there for me and uh, my sisters. And so I thought, well, I want to be for that, here for them. And so made that decision. And so, and then, you know, I already kind of knew that there are some chemicals that can lead to Parkinson's. I think that much has been proven. And so that sort of shaped some of my thinking. Um, but, you know, I learned a lot um, from folks about, you know, the value of no-till and basically thought, well, no-till is a better way to farm. And we got here because of the chemicals. And so if we can remove the chemicals and keep all those positive things, then then it's worth doing. And so that, that sort of, but it was triggered to some extent by my dad having Parkinson's. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm sorry to hear that. And it's a, it's a silent, uh, you know, epidemic we have in the agriculture community is there's a, there's a lot of, uh, you know, long-term chronic conditions that, that farmers have and, and just don't know why we can assume, but you know, to, to nail it down is really, really tough. And so it's one thing for, not only um, consumers want to eat clean, but uh, the farmers too are at very high risk of exposure to, to multiple things. And uh, if we can help do things to de-risk it for the entire exactly. community, you know, the yep. farmers themselves, operators, but, you know, the small communities that surround things, uh, man, every, everybody wins, right? Yeah, so. That's right. And, and it really, I agree with you, de-risk it. And um, there's no reason not to to attempt to de-risk it, you know, and, and there's no reason to vilify anyone for anything either. Right. So we got here, we got a better way of farming that we can go towards. And so let's see if we can make it even better. So, you know, sometimes that can be a tough conversation, right? You know, well, why do you want to do that? And, and what, what's the problem anyway? I mean, how do you, how have you found that, uh, what have been some good ways to have that discussion, uh, on why change, right? You know, I've always made a joke, you know, how many, how many farmers does it take to change a light bulb or you can insert whatever group you want? You know, how many people does it take to change a light bulb? Change, why change? You know, so how are some of those conversations when, when you approach people on a new way to farm, how, how are you, what have you found to, to stimulate that thinking and help drive change? Yeah, I think uh, in the early days, you know, you're figuring out who's receptive and who's not. And, and it really, in that way, from my perspective, the technology adoption curve among farmers is no different than the general population. Uh, in fact, I would say farmers actually generally adopt faster once they find something they like. Um, so there's that misconception of farmers all being stubborn and that. And I'm like, no more stubborn than a corporate middle manager or executive. I can tell you that. <laughs> I agree with hundred so, percent. I, I think that uh, farmers are often stereotypically seen as, you know, backwards or not willing to change, but no, if you've got something that makes sense and, and improves the way of life and, and the stewardship of the soil, farmers are all about it. And it has to make financial sense, right? Um, and it has to work in their operation. And I think that's that's one of our advantages here is that I am a farmer. So when we designed how it works, hey, it has to be something I would adopt, right? Uh, starting there, financially, it makes sense. It can fit into the operation and then a lot of research. I, that said, I mean, look, there's... Um, there's a lot of guys that are not going to adopt uh, this right now. You know, there's folks that have their tillage equipment and maybe they're five, maybe 10 years from retirement and they're not going to run out potentially and make those changes. Some will, some won't, you know? And so 
you don't try to persuade everyone of everything. Um, you find the folks that are like-minded and you work with them. And I found that there's a lot, you know, especially in this region. I can't speak for where you're at, but I certainly can for South Central Kansas. And I think something for all of our listeners, it's important to know in South Central Kansas, there's probably quite a bit of dryland farming. There's, there's irrigated yes. too, but uh, you're in a, you're in a zone right there where you're losing an inch of rainfall every 10 to 15 miles you go West. So every drop counts. And when we're in Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, you know, when you're east of the Missouri River, you typically have more rain than what you need in a season to grow the crop. So water is the nemesis. You know, there's tile and we, we till the ground to dry it out. You know, common thing that's done in the spring. On Kansas, every drop counts because you can't add more. Uh, the weather variability is, is great and getting greater. And so no-till has been an amazing thing for for western kansas and it, it preserves every drop so yeah the more you can enable that and really when you say lately in the last five years because of uh roundup resistant weeds akosha and those kind of things and you know wind events that just don't allow us to spray like we used to the fallow fields are becoming cover crop fields of resistant weeds and so farmers are going back to sweep cultivators uh you know and tillage methods to to kill weeds and now we're you know leaving the soil exposed to wind erosion and evaporating out water so now we're kind of on a, a down cycle right so i think your timing's impeccable on on bringing this product to market i you know i hope so i i think so and and i think even where you're at i think eventually we'll figure out hey how can cover crops my, my guess is cover crops will find out that they can be active both ways i know that they kind of started in minnesota for guys to actually try to pull the water out of the ground. Mm -hmm. But then we found places like this that the transpiration rate sometimes is lower than the evaporation rate when, you know, what's going on. So it's going to be interesting, you know, I think as we move further north and work at farms up there, what we learn, you know. All right. Well, let's get into the nuts and bolts of it. Tell us, tell us about that uh, uh, in the background there on the video. Tell us about uh, this autonomous robot uh, for weed control in no-till. Tell us all about it. How does it work? What, what, you know, iterations you've been through and, and, you know, those things that you can share and, and, uh, tell us about the technology and, and all, all the bells and whistles. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's pretty simple in some ways, um, but it's more difficult to achieve than even I realized when we started it. But, um, look in 2016 came up with this concept of there's no resistance to a, a blade, um, for pigweed. Right. But I thought, so I called, you know, my friend who's a crop geneticist, I called our crop consultant and I said, what happens if you cut a pigweed an inch higher, two high, inches higher, quarter inch, right? And so we talked about growing points and stuff like that. The answer was no one really knew. And I thought, surely it cannot be this simple. And so uh, 2016 went out there with a knife and rotary mowers and was running around my summer fallow field that had pigweeds all over it. And, you know, just trying to figure out like what works here, what doesn't work and does this work at all? And figured out that indeed it worked. And, uh, but you repeatedly need to cut that pigweed, right? And so each time you cut it, it comes back weaker and the lower, the better. And so that was sort of what we uh, came up with. So we started Greenfield in 2018 after kind of doing that a couple summers. And so what they do is post plant, um, they'll, they'll come between your 30 inch rows at this point, uh, of soybeans, corn, cotton, it doesn't really matter. And they'll mow. 
And they're actually now mowing between a quarter and a half an inch high off the ground. So it's uh, comparable to scalping new lawn. And so they zip up and down the rows and there was a fleet of them. They were small machines. So we typically uh, deploy what we call a herd um, of 10 of them and uh, into the alleys, more words we use, the alleys between your crops. And uh, they zip up and down those rows at about three and a half mile an hour. And uh, they cut those weeds. Wow. That is fast compared to most robotic equipment. Yeah, we have been running about four mile an hour the other day and uh, oh. running straight as an arrow, two centimeter variance actually. So average variance. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, RTK quality there or, le- or better. So yeah. yeah, excellent. Yeah, for, uh, you know, it's uh, harder to do on a small machine, but. Uh, well, got- yeah, when you figure the, the size of the wheelbase, right? And the terrain of the field can be rough. And okay, so now I got, You've already given me a million questions. I hope that's all right. Uh, we're going to have to extend the podcast a couple hours. You know, don't worry about it. Uh, so when you're scalping the soil that low and, and you're dealing with, you know, agricultural fields, I mean, there's there's significant unevenness, and especially in long-term no-till, you can have holes and all sorts of things. I mean, you've overcome some amazing challenges. How, how, do, you, how do you get it that close? Because, yes, that closeness would really affect the broadleaf's ability uh, to recover. Yep. Yeah, I would, you know, basically, I mean, we've been through a bazillion iterations. One is you have really good equipment and really good components that can take a beating, you know, and so that's, that's number one. Um, you've got to have that set up. And two, you have to be really good at guidance and uh, our guidance guys, I'll put them against anyone uh, in RTK GPS or, you know, any of sort of technologies we have. So, um, and that's, and it's really about the details, every single detail. But in terms of getting beat up and that, I mean, the, the decks um, actually are running on air now. The entire system runs on air and um, it's, you know, got a pretty interesting suspension that we'll probably go into patent and, um, you know, this version this year. And so um, to be able to take that kind of beating, we have all sorts of ways to, to deal with that at this point. Um, and then the system also can automatically sense if it's something horrendous has happened, you know, and back up, shut it down, start up again, uh, stuff like that. Um, and then we obviously, uh, there's still a level of, we survey each field. And so we understand what's going on in that field before we go out there. And we, of course, talk to the farmer too. And so, um, you know, we had one field, I remember the second year and, uh, <laughs> Uh, we signed and, and he had, he went, he had a really deep draw and it was like a cliff and the guy had obviously hung his drill wheel or maybe the edge of his drill over that cliff. And if we had just done back when we were doing machine vision, just blindly followed that, we'd have followed it right off the cliff. <laughs> and so, cause we started with machine vision, right? Capturing the rows and, and all that. And so uh, I remember taking Steven out there, who was our head engineer at that point and saying, look, uh, this type of thing's real. So you gotta be careful <laughs> how we do this. So, Absolutely. but no, it handles it pretty well. Huh? No, that, that's amazing to be able to get it that close. And, uh, how are you powered? Are you battery powered, uh, uh, pet, uh, gasoline, diesel? Yeah, these are battery powered. We carry a lot of battery power on these things. Um, and they're, they're very quickly swappable about two minutes. Uh, we pop okay. open the lid. You can swap so those out. It's a herd approach, which is cooler than a swarm approach, right? But <laughs> I like that. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, you're deploying a, a herd of 10 and then they, they rotate out back to home base, I assume, or to the end of the field in order to do battery swap 
Uh, do they navigate like when you have end rows, uh, they just navigate those end rows to a central spot and to, for the recharge and know, know when they need recharged or is that still some manual interaction at this? Yeah. Point? So we're monitoring edge of field still, sure, um, sure. you know, but I, you know, with 5g and stuff, I think some of that'll go away. Um, yeah. but still, you know, a combination of not wanting to spend the time on 5g yet, cause we need to be on the edge of field, um, and making sure these things are, you know, really bulletproof this year still. So, uh, end rows, the way it works is we just tell the farm to either turn your planner off that, that row next to the end row. So we call it the turn zone. Mm-hmm. So we, we prefer to have about 50 inches there. So if you're in 30 inch rows, it can work out to pretty close to 50 to 60. And so, you know, don't waste your seed else. We're going to run over or cut it, um, when we turn. And so, but that's about it. That's the way those end rows are, are handled at that point. So, Makes sense. and we pull data off the tracker, to know where the rows are. And we also fly drones to know where the rows are. So you're taking the RTK recorded as applied map, essentially, and in addition, geo-referencing with a flyover drone to, to find out what should that path be and probably create an auto path for each one to, to go on and or certain zones of them to go to. And um, Yep, this year it's pretty much pre-pad, you know, before we show up. And that's, you know, we yep. try to, we're trying to do better of, of uploading the work uh, up front. Um, yes. Before we arrive at the field, you know, there's always plenty to do. You're always getting better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then what about, um, how are you, ha- uh, typically if you're mowing that low, I imagine you're, you're out of the field before you hit canopy. So GPS, you know, signal is not an issue, I would assume. Um, yeah. So I think that, um, right now, for example, it, it is a race to canopy. You're exactly right. And so once we get to canopy, if it's something taller than our pole, then we're not going to get signal currently. Although I think 5G will, will remedy that so we can do other activities, which, you know, we'll experiment with later this summer. We don't want to mention what those activities are, but they could be sensing on the go to get a complete picture of your field as you're, as you're going through, I mean, a live stream of your field and, and then creating automatic, uh, recommendation plans, but we don't want to go there. Um, <laughs> that sounds like too much fun and that's out. <laughs> well, of the market, right? It might be simpler than that too, but, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty good at that already, I think, but yeah. So in no-till situations, especially if, uh, let's say you're after stripper wheat or, you know, 200 bushel, 300 bushel corn, there's a lot of residue out there, especially in your environment where maybe it's dry and it don't have the decomposition time. How are you handling that through the machine when you're mowing so close to the ground? Yeah, it, it really, a lot of times you are mowing a bit of the mulch and that, and we can adjust how high we're mowing at that point as well. But um, the, the it basically floats right above it. Now, we used to have a bowl that literally literally rode on the ground. And of course, if you got in the wrong type of mulch situation, you were you were pushing a, a big bunch of mulch along as you were going. But now it's more of a floating mechanism. And we actually this year can adjust that remotely. Um, so we can raise and lower the platform just like a combine um does at that point so we don't have the auto sensing in there yet i will tell you that but um it's more of an operator keeping an eye on it so the blades have tremendous power and um so it's the the guy that designed our cutting blades has been designing top end lawnmowers for 27 years so it's uh you'll cut cut it's a rotary style blade then i take it instead of a a flail style yeah it's rotary Mm -hmm. very good very good so you've been through a lot of iterations, right? And, and since you really started diving in this, you said first looking at it in 2016 and 2018s when you, when you jumped in full bore, um, what, I mean, um, 
talk, talk about that iteration process and how much that takes and um, the challenges associated with that when you're like, oh, nope, we need to change, go completely different suspension system. You've mentioned that or more system or guidance system. And I mean, there's some major things that you've hurdles you've overcome and, and what's that like to say, okay, we've invested this much time and money and let's just skip that and go this other way. Yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, look, there's no playbook for this stuff, although it's being written. Right. And so um, I think that, you know, you just have to be out there and get the reps out in the field and learn what you can. You know, I, like I mentioned, we started out in machine vision and what we figured out was uh, maybe someday we could have gotten it to run the speed that we're running now, but we realized um, that, you know, there was a better way to do this. Um, that was simpler and we could run at a faster speed and better run at night. And so um, you spend two years building machine vision and you throw it away. Um, I mean, we still have it but um, it really doesn't do a lot for us anymore. So not to say we couldn't bring it back for something at some point, but um, I'm not sure what that application would be at this point. So mm -hmm. it's, and then hardware wise, you know, it's, it's very interesting uh, building hardware. And of course, in this era with supply chain, uh, it's even more interesting um, dealing with some of those issues. And it's like, how many more uphill battles do you want to have? And, uh, but we've, we've made it this far. And I think, one of the big advantages to this now at this point is uh, our vendors and partners and people we talk to all want to see us succeed. So they, once they figure out what we're doing, we've actually found that from big suppliers to small suppliers, they find a way to get us what we need when we need it um, because they're behind what we're doing. And so that is nice. After 12 years of battling uphill to start having people sort of fight with us is, is, is really great. So I think I know the answer to this, but I, I want to ask you that, you know, there's a lot of startups in ag automation and robotics. Um, and there, and several of them are focusing on weed control. We've had a few others on the podcast. I, I'd like to you to share though, what makes you different? And I, I know what the answer is, but talk a little bit about that. Why are you different than many of these other um, uh, startups that are out there? Yeah, so we're focused on uh, enabling regenerative ag to scale. So weed controls where we started and regenerative, the bedrock of that is no-till. And so we're the only guys focused on that and all the mechanisms that I come up with and the, the creations are designed to basically make it easier for a farmer to adopt regenerative and scale, right? And I think there's a scale problem right now. Yeah, and I agree with you 100%. Plus, I think your unique focus is uh, not many are focusing on the commodity crops, you know, oh, yeah. most yeah, of the thing on the yeah. high value, sure. especially yeah. in produce crops. Especially, yeah. And there's, you know, there's a lot of people saying a lot of things, but uh, as, as, as uh, those are one of the things I was saying that I left behind on the West coast is just making stuff up. And so, um, you know, I think that uh, reality is broad acres considerably different than, than uh, specialty. And I know, cause I did some specialty cropping. Uh, so I got, I got a kick out of, uh, you posted, uh, you know, farmer's edge, put a video out, uh, about Daisy, the <laughs> weed killing robot on April one, you know, it's, uh, everybody's making up the, uh, April fools videos, you know, Dewey's, which isn't too far away from you. Uh, you know, I love their, uh, bail bed, uh, April fools jokes. I think they win the, the one of the year the, where they got the dynamite and around bail. I love it. And there's nothing better, mm -hmm. but the Daisy weed killing robot. Okay. On the surface, it's interesting. You know, it makes fun of, of 
your space, what you're trying to do, right? But on the other hand, I love the one person who's, you know, both characters in there throwing out all these big superfluous words about, oh, it's yeah. going to revolutionize how we feed the world. Nah, da, 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 da. It just is that same old conventional mindset. It just makes you kind of sick. And I think what you <laughs> just said right there, you know, the regenerative focus starts with no-till. Yeah. And, you know, we, when we work with farmers, we know not everybody can start from going from full till to cold turkey, no till. Sometimes there's strip till in between or minimize the tillage, strip till, no till. There's a plan depending on your area and your salinity and rainfall, irrigation, blah, blah, blah. But um, talk to us about why you posted that story. Did did I kind of hit it? What you're saying, not only uh, the obnoxiousness of the robot, but the, the big words of big industry. Is that what kind of came to yeah, mind with I you? Mean, I, that resonated. I mean, you know, farmer Derek did that and uh, he's actually a customer this year. And I just think that guy's hilarious. And, uh, and, and I think that's one thing. I mean, I, farmers are really able to poke fun at themselves and they don't take themselves so seriously. And that really is, makes it wonderful, but you are right. I mean, I was listening to all that stuff and I thought, my, it's just word salad, you know, it's just word salad and who cares, you know, it's just perfect, you know, because the reality is, um, it's never that simple. It's, this is hard to do and the devil's in the details and just glossing over things and talking gibberish is absolutely bad. And every farmer darn well knows it. And, uh, it's, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was hilarious. I mean, it, you know, cause it's completely unexpected using a shotgun to, uh, to eliminate the weeds, but I, I thought it was just brilliant. Very gratifying. Uh, Farmer's edge and, and Derek did their I mean, kudos to those guys. Just brilliant. <laughs> but it's gratifying to use a shotgun to kill weeds. I, w- I will say it not, not oh. effective, but, <laughs> but a lot of fun. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, what, yeah. I mean, some of the lines in there were just awesome. You know, like the spin on stuff was just crazy. So I used to be part of an angel investing group here in the quad cities. And now I'm a part of ag startup engine out names. And I sometimes play, um, you know, ag startup or technology startup bingo. It's how many of the key words they can insert in a pitch and you kind of fill out your card. And the the more that your card is filled, the more, you know, you don't want to invest in that company because, you know, they're, (laughs) they're talking about all that. Oh, well, we've got this total addressable market, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, they're really good at pitching, but I don't know how good they are at actually executing. So yeah, those two things sometimes are opposed. Yeah. Um, Yeah. People are great at raising money. Typically uh, aren't, aren't that good at getting the product to market. So yeah blockchain right blockchain oh yeah it's it's a blockchain and we use artificial intelligence and remotes uh yeah yeah we can <laughs> i i think i've heard the same pitch from four different people you know it's like do you guys just listen to each other or what so <laughs> we're taking a short break to share that the ag emerge podcast is brought to you by the team at ag solutions network rooted in innovation asn is committed to leaving the land better than we found it not simply maintaining it. We're here to help you navigate the balancing act of productivity and building a legacy. From practices to products, ASN is more than a new jug. It's a new way of thinking. So don't be afraid to be different. Be afraid to be the same. Contact Ag Solutions Network today at asn.farm. And now back to our show. So what's it like? Here you are, uh, the only one focused on no-till and one of the few focused on commodity crops you know, yeah. um, 
and you're in mid uh, central Kansas, uh, South Central Kansas. You're not in the Kansas City Olathe area, uh, or or at you know Manhattan. What is it? Uh, what's it like being an ag tech startup in Kansas? It's good and it's bad. I mean, it's uh, the good is I think we've got incredible talents, and we're the only game sort of in this area. And and so we're not competing against Google down the road. Yeah, there's no Google here, and uh, and I think most of our team will never move to uh, Mountain View. So, um, it uh, you know that so that's good. We've got incredible talent, and we've got you know it's an interesting mix of talent, and, and the team's larger than what I got behind here, but um, but it's a it's an interesting mix that I'm not sure guys are going to have in Silicon Valley, and that is not everyone on our team has a college degree, but some of them have been building hot rods since they're about five years old. And so when we want to mock something up and do it quick, we actually have two, two, three guys who know how to weld, uh, two of them that can also do elect, all three of them can do electrical work. And so there's a infusion of engineering and the math with the common sense and a lot of experience building all kinds of things. Um, and, and one of our guys helped manage a very big farm for a long time as well. And so it's, uh, that is the good part. Uh, I'll put our team up against anybody's, um, at this point. I think you call that, you got the MacGyver X factor going on there. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Especially with a guy <laughs> with a large farm, I'm sure he cracks out the duct tape and the cable ties and, you know, wire oh. and all sorts of great stuff to, to make uh, robotics work. Right. Uh, seriously. I mean, we had something the other day, we recognized a problem in the new model and I said, Hey, what, what do you want to do? You know, and the next day it was solved. That's awesome. Right. We'll put it in the CAD later and, and make that change later. But um, it's it's really cool. So that that I think, and that makes it a, a fun team too. You know, we have a good time, a lot of different kind of viewpoints on things. So I think the negative is this. Um, the coasts don't understand Broadacre Ag. Uh, the coasts don't, they're starting to spin up on regenerative, but they're getting lost in all the keywords. And, um, and so funding wise, they're getting lost. They don't really understand what they're funding and what they're not funding and just barely can grasp what we actually do out here. And so um, that, and from a fundraising perspective, has made it very painful, right. um, especially early on. And I was fortunate enough to have uh, early on a lot of people that knew me and worked with or for or worked for me that, that were angel investors um, that kept us going in the early stages and then the quarter the, you know, the network grew. So I think that's the biggest downside was, was, you know, fundraising. Of course it's going smoother now, but um, mm -hmm. it wasn't, uh, it was brutal at the beginning, you know, cause when you just got a deck and you, and some results from cutting weeds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Access so, to capital is, is probably the number one thing uh, between the coasts. That's the problem. But yeah. like you said, the talents there, they want to stay home. They want to stay local. They understand the problem. Uh, that's all good, good parts of the formula. It's just that early seed capital is is tough you know we're we're more conservative with our capital deployment in the quads or not the quad cities but i mean in the in the entire midwest because it's uh um we're just not as we're we're spend thrifty right it's the farming culture <laughs> so yeah um, yeah well and you don't have all the big exits that people have had and that sort of money floating around from those exits that they you know, um, you know, angel investors, as far as I'm concerned, are the only venture capital, right? I think everybody else is growth capital. Angels are the ones taking the risk when you barely have, you don't even have an MVP or you have an MVP. Um, it's after that sort of growth capital, right? I've got something, I've proven it, I've got the money, uh, or I've got the customers, 
now it's growth capital and the only risk is can you outgrow your competitor, right? And right. so Angels really, I mean, their name is perfect, right? I, I, I think without Angels, the innovation out there would die, you know? That's a, that's a good point. And I think uh, farmers that are interested in helping these technologies get to market or help something that, that is, um, that can be beneficial for their farm really should consider uh, getting a little more uh, in tune with what those things look like and, and how to invest, how to, how to see if there's an opportunity that makes sense and, and be that angel, like you said, uh, to make these products a possibility. So more for what it can uh, do for them and their industry than, you know, worried about, am I going to get a 500% return on money? I think is right. what to look at because right. this isn't software, right? It's not 98% margin stuff. You know, your business model is probably going to be a weeding as a service model would, would be my guess. Yeah. I, I don't, you know, you're going to own the units and you're going to come in and charge a person that, Hey, we're going to manage all your weeds for hundred dollars a year and you can be certified organic and you know, people are, Oh, great. You know, problem solved. Is that what your model is going forward? Yeah, far off. Yeah. It, it is robotics as a service. Yep. And the next robot gets rid of all the wheat, you know, needs for the herbicide. So, um, you know, so yes, and it is a per acre fee. So that's, that's the way it's set up, you know? Yeah. And I mean, it, it's, it's a, a great solution to, to this problem. So what, what, uh, this, we kind of had an idea of the area of focus for today. What, what are you looking at for the future? in there clint um yeah i mean look it's um one is obviously we need to expand what we have and the other is to get this next gen kind of robot um we built multiple single row versions our third version has been testing out in fields since uh early march and uh so we want to build a multi-row version hopefully for later this year um how much later yet to be determined um but and that one is something that starts pre-plant and uh, deals with herbicide, you know, deals with um, basically you don't need to do a burn down anymore. And so depending on the situation on your field. And so that that really is the next big one is, um, you know, be able to say, okay, now you can go herbicide free without, you know, deep tillage. So it's or tillage at all. So that's, that's really what the next couple of years are all about is getting those two things going that are complementary. And, and uh, so farmers have that option. Yeah. Excellent. And then, uh, do you see where the all be individual units or do you see, you'll have like a, a pack leader type of arrangement, you know, like, let's say you got one, one that's got all the brains and it's peer to peer networking with, you know, seven others to do an eight row pass. Uh, where, where does that economics on something like that come together? Is it just cheaper to have each one able to do anything probably? Yeah, I mean, every row can be a little different, you know, especially your cheat rows. And um, so it's almost as easy to, to just let each robot sort of monitor what's going on there. Uh, you know, we, we, we can actually, we do have that software. We can tie them all together if we want um, to run through the field and, and sort of working together. Um, I, don't, I don't think we ever did the final math on, you know, making adjustments between them all, but mm-hmm. for a cheat row or something like that. But right now they're, they're pretty much all independent units. Um, being sort of run by a master brain, I guess we could call it at this point. So they, they're making their own decisions on a minute by minute, but where am I going on the field next? And all that is made by sort of a master system at this stage of the game. Well, so that's probably more technical detail than you wanted or needed. No, no, that, that makes sense. And I think uh, you ultimately you have to get one of those awesome photos lined up with a drone, you know, how they do all the combines in a row uh, through the yeah. field or all the cotton pickers in a V shape or something. You yeah. need to have, 
uh, your, your robots all lined up the same way, you know, uh, doing the same. Oh, well, we, we will be, um, we, we're, we're actually cutting deals with, um, yeah. So we'll, you'll see that we're actually have some partners this year that we're weeding for some of their ingredients. And, uh, so you'll, you'll see that in some of the marketing this summer. So, um, what are some of the possibilities you're amazed by and what you're doing, um, in the future? Well, I think the thing that sort of surprised, you know, surprised me the most was the more I dig into this, you know, when we get no-till and if we can get cover crops going on it is, you know, I think there's a bigger and bigger growing kind of concern, if not almost borderline panic about uh, climate change and carbon. And I regenerative ag actually, I believe can be a solution, if not the solution, a huge one. Um, for this, if we can facilitate farmers getting into cover crops and de-risking that for them. Um, and then I think after that, once you have the cover crops on my farm, we graze those cover crops. How can we make that? It's not so labor intensive and insane where you're me in the middle of the night and the sheriff is calling you to tell you the sheep are just outside of town. <laughs> so um, I think that, you know, being able to take kind of what Gabe Brown's done and, and of course many others now and, and make that really work and scale to keep that carbon in the ground, uh, that, that excites me. I mean, I think that's a huge change. It's not just getting the chemicals out, but the carbon and that, you know, I, I, and I think farmers want to do all these things. It's just, man, how do you do it? you know, without incurring huge risk and not waking up in the middle of the night. Right. So, I mean, we're all farming way different than we grew up farming. Right. Um, and no one's using a plow behind a horse. Right. But to adopt those things, it needs to be de-risked. And so it's predictable. Um, right now, you know, commodity prices are good. You can take on a little more risk, but when I started this company, commodity prices were horrible. And so taking on risk was, was not a great, right? Mm -hmm. No, that's great. And I, I love your go-to-market approach, you know, basically uh, weeding as a service and, uh, or robotics as a service. And I think that's uh, a great way to de-risk it, but it's also a great way to improve uh, return on assets. You know, that's uh, farmers are constantly plagued by, you know, $2 million of equipment or three or four or five sitting in a shed and being utilized for maybe three months in, in uh, a year, maybe, you know, closer to one or two in most regions of the United States. Uh, now, California, again, different. They can use them eight to 12 months out of the year. But, right. you know, most of the areas are the return on assets is terrible. So, you know, having a swarm approach where you could go north to south like the wheat run, you know, it's just uh, we're on the weed run instead. So, uh, yeah. And I think this kind of stuff like we're doing and the things we're bringing money will be um, huge. Uh, at some point, farmers will be able to get more creative again, too. Right. And so and when you start uncorking that ability, um, then, you know, they can kind of discover markets and new ways of doing things themselves, you know. And uh, I mean, I, I would love to be able to tap that. We've always talked about being able, by the way, tap the ingenuity of farmers. But I went ahead and got a couple of guys that were farmers, you know, helping us. But because um, farmers are pretty well, if you look around the equipment companies around here, most of them were started by farmers. Mm -hmm. I agree. So, not to be a devil's advocate here, but it, how do you control the grasses with a with a mowing approach? No, it's a great question. Um, so we tell farmers, hey, uh, post plant, we're going to mow these things and we're going to mow the grass too really low. But if you have a really bad crab grass infestation, for example, 
um, you may need to still come in with the low cost, you know, well, not as low cost right now, but uh, glyphosate or something like that to knock out those grasses if they're getting too much of a foothold because mowing them low, yeah, it slows it down, um, but it doesn't completely stop them. And so that's something we just tell them up front, you know, right now this current mechanism does not deal with grasses. The next one does. Um, so oh, wow. that's what I like to hear. Yeah. <laughs> that no, I mean, I'm not going to do a half solution, right? You know? Right. Uh, for the organic solution, that will need to, I mean, you still are solving a great problem with most of the Roundup resistance is in broadleaves. So, yeah. uh, which right. um, you're, you're taking out a, a huge problem there, but to get to the full regenerative uh, chemistry free inputs. Uh, yeah, you'll, you'll need that. So I'm glad to hear you're yeah, working on that. that. Yeah. That's, that's been in works, like I said, about three years. So I think we're, we know how to do it. Uh, now it's building the machines and, and proving it, you know, to everybody else. Uh, so yeah. what's it going to look like, uh, five years from now? I don't, uh, you know, um, it's kind of like when you do your spreadsheets for investors, you know, your first caution is it's our best guess, <laughs> right? What's coming five years Heck, from now week is the best guess, let alone five years, <laughs> but not only yeah. you, but what do you think the end, maybe you, you can take a step back uh, industry wise, what, what yeah, does it uh, look like you think in the next five years? Yeah, I think that um, it's, it's going to change all through the supply chain. I mean, I have my own little supply chain we built for a pet food company. And um, I think um, based on what we're doing in other robotics companies, consumer expectations are gonna rise of what is possible. And so um, I think you're going to see over time more and more clear delineation of the output. Um, the commodity model is always going to be around, but I think the opportunities for actual broad acre to become some, a little more specialty providing is, is a big one. Um, and I know we're pretty focused on that as well. And so, um, that's pretty vague, but my point is, um, the minute you can do something you couldn't do before, and it's something consumers want, then you should get paid for that. Whether the farmer or whoever. And so, or the food brand or Greenfield. And so I think that there's a huge opportunity there for all of us uh, to participate. And I think those are the things that um, will actually have a better return to the farmer's bottom line. I think the carbon markets hopefully will settle down at some point here. And I'm really hoping that people realize probably the cheapest and most effective way to sequester carbon is planting seed, Right and incentivizing farmers to do that. Um, and so I'm really hoping that will come through legislation and, and just incentives um, on these carbon markets so that farmers go, okay, I'm willing to take some more risks and do some things different because I'm economically incentivized to do it. And hopefully we see all that in five years. We'll see, you know. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're onto something uh, as regenerative has been the number one food term and has grown at a huge rate, um, putting the definition to that or, or making sure that, uh, people are hitting their claims is yes. important. And, um, you know, I think that you offer a verification step, uh, as yeah. part of that, um, that's, that's pretty easy to identify. And, uh, you definitely offer a tool that enables it. So I'm pretty excited about it. And when you, when you break out of, you know, 
Kansas and you, and you get a little closer and, and are willing to cross the river into <laughs> Illinois, um, <laughs> I'd certainly be interested in working with you and uh, experimenting with on our own farm. I think it'd be a, a great yeah. opportunity. And I think several of our uh, customers in Kansas and such would, would be interested in, in working with you, longtime no-tillers. So we certainly can get you connected there. Um, yeah. Anything else uh, I should have asked or brought up today while we were together? <sighs> no, I just, uh, I don't know. We need to pray. And it's the old farming thing down here on our dryland acres. We need to pray for rain. So it's, uh, tell you, it's, it's getting a, a little thing. dicey. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, we have to pray for rain, but we need to be prepared when we don't get it. So right. you know, <laughs> enabling long-term no-till like you're doing is, is definitely a way we can be prepared for it. So yeah, definitely. Well, I really appreciate your time today, Clint, and and thank you for all the work that you and your team are doing. Uh, you know, breaking open uh, into a new new area. Uh, it's uh, it's tough to be the the first person, you know. And uh, I'm glad to see that you guys are doing it and and approaching it in a, a unique way. So, congratulations well, thanks for having me. Let me you know talk about what we're doing. It's much appreciated and. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's tough the technology and that, but the further we've gotten, I mean, the support from farmers and and co-ops and organizations has, has been fantastic, to be honest. And uh, it does feel good when you're you know out in the field and someone stops their car and they come out and they tell you they're they're happy you're doing what you're doing. I mean, I that just means a lot. Or the emails we get sometimes and that and it means a lot because Monty, you're right. This is very hard. This has been 12 years of the hardest thing I've ever done. And uh, so when people drop you a nice line or say something to you. Um, and they say, you know, we're, we're rooting for you. That does mean a lot. So, and then being able to come on a show like yours and, and talk about this is just super helpful. Well, thank you. And I hope that uh, some of our listeners will take a cue here from this, uh, drop him an email, uh, touch base, uh, encourage him, cheer him on. Uh, that would be great. And, and participate, stay tuned because there's going to be lots of things to come in the future, I'm sure. So thank you, Clint, you and the entire Greenfield Robotics team and for what you're doing. And uh, we're, we're going to follow you closely in the future. So keep up the great work. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this conversation today. You know, ingenuity and innovation have always been at the core of agriculture, and there's no question that Clint and his team are on a mission to provide innovative tools to meet the challenges of today's regenerative ag systems. And to learn more about what we're doing to help growers implement soil health practices, check out our website at asn.farm. And there you can click on the links to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. There's a lot of great things happening and always something to learn. Thanks for listening.